guys, welcome back to Like Minds. I am Josh Allen, as always, joined by Adam Kuklich. Uh, today, we have something a little bit different. We have a guest. That's correct. Today, we interviewed one of my good friends from college named Rahul Bajaj. He is uh, someone who's very knowledgeable on saving money and investing and really everything to do with the FIRE lifestyle. Uh, if any of you guys have heard of that, that's... Uh, financially independent retire early and he brings a very interesting perspective um, one from someone who was not born in the United States of America and who did not move to the United States of America until he was 18 years old he is actually from India so it's very interesting talking to him about not only money but also some of the the scams that can come across when people are trying to become rich like like Ponzi schemes and things like that yeah we, we found out that uh, uh, me Adam and Raul have all experienced uh, a couple actually different schemes in our lives. So uh, we talk about those. Uh, it was really fun talking to Raul. I uh, hope we can talk uh, with him more as well as some other guests. Uh, I think you guys will enjoy this conversation. So we're going to go ahead and get right into it. All right, guys. So uh, today we're doing something a little bit different. We're using Zoom to do our podcast, and I'm having my friend Rahul on the podcast. We've been wanting to do this for quite some time. Um, I actually met Rahul in uh, China. He was my roommate. We spent uh, an eventful five months there. And uh, today, you know, we're just going to talk a little bit about money and current world events. So, uh, Rahul, if you want to introduce yourself, tell, tell people a little bit about you. Hey, uh, what's up, guys? My name is Rahul, and I'm a mechanical engineer. And that's when I met Adam. We were studying mechanical engineering as exchange students in uh, China. And we just, we just bonded over those five months doing crazy and borderline illegal stuff. <laughs> <laughs> can't. Can talk a lot about what all we did there, but it was um, five months. We had a lot of self-discovery there. We realized what's important to us, and we've been in touch ever since. We've been pretty great friends ever since. And I've met Josh through Adam. Josh and Adam are great friends, and um, I guess I haven't really talked a lot to Josh, but I guess this is a good one-on-one -on -one opportunity for us to connect and for us to find out more about each other. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the brief conversations that we did have um, when you were up here, that was last summer. Good conversation. So I'm looking yeah. forward, uh, uh, looking forward to this. You're yeah. where are you at right now? You're in Indianapolis. You're down yeah. in Indiana. Right? I'm I'm in no? yeah I'm in Elkhart, Indiana. It's it's oh okay. I guess the biggest it's it's Elkhart County, but the biggest city that you would know of would be South Bend. Oh, okay, okay. Husband's like 20, 30 minutes from here. Um, if you know, Mayor Pete, Pete Buttigieg is from South Bend. He was one of the candidates running for president for 2020. Okay. So, yeah. So you're more, you're more east. I thought you were down south. Yeah, north, northeast, northeastern, yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Not that far. It's like, it's like hour, hour and a half from here to Whiting. Mm, okay. 
you're and so you're an engineer you're working as an engineer right now currently right i'm working as an engineer i'm actually working as a structural civil engineer mm. in a pretty specific pretty niche industry it's a modular building industry so you know how i don't know if you know about modular phones they didn't really take off anything modular is like lego bricks you know where you just yeah. take pieces and you, and you put them together and you just make whatever so i structurally analyze modular buildings right now so what they do is they manufacture a building separately like you manufacture the living room the bedroom and whatever and then you just make mm -hmm. all that in a factory and at the at the site you just put it together like lego pieces so it's a pretty different field from what i majored in in college um but it's a pretty interesting field hmm. well to get into some uh current events um how has the shutdown affected your uh your work are you working remotely or do you still have to go on site are you guys considered essential yeah we it's basically had no effect except uh, we've had some uh, emergency work come in. We've had, uh, I don't know if I'm legally allowed to talk about all that. Oh, okay. We're doing some stuff for the military. We're doing some stuff for other countries. Like we've had some emergency hospital orders come in. We've have had some emergency shelter orders come in. Because um, modular buildings are quick to put together. They're, I mean, yeah. we make a lot of our stuff out of shipping containers so you just take an old shipping container and you you i guess paint it and stuff and you put installation and you it's you have a building so uh, what is the actual fabric that uh the buildings are made out of like the structural uh, i guess what do you mean fabric like is it i don't know like cement blocks or what? what is it oh yeah it, it it can be whatever. So I guess the best example, I guess, is a shipping container. You take a shipping container. It could be a shipping container or it, it could be a metal box resembling a shipping container. And then you slap on insulation and then you slap on gypsum or wood, I guess, like plywood, or you put a steel wall, depending on the application, depending on if it's a house, if it's a commercial thing. Like we put wood instead of, um, drywall if it's i worked on some communication shelters where you'd have like antennas and stuff inside the building and oh. in that case you want wood because gypsum or like metal would like shield the block the signal got you so, yeah. so when you're going into work have there any been or have there been any uh serious restrictions on what you can and can't do or like everybody has to wear a mask or anything like that yeah, we talked a bit about that. And honestly, it's a fairly small business. It's only like five, six of us. And we all have our own offices. So we just, we, yeah, it's like five people. Uh, one's not coming in. So there's four of us and there's four four restrooms in the building. So we just oh, okay. all have a restroom. <laughs> uh, we, we try to minimize face-to-face -face interaction now, but there's no, we're not wearing masks or anything. I mean, I would like to, but I guess I don't see a big threat. And as I said, I mean, we've had some essential orders come in. We are an essential industry. So we've been, we've been virtually, we, we've hardly been impacted by the coronavirus, except for the emergency orders coming in. Yeah. And so I, think, I still uh, go in work. 
that's definitely a silver lining in the whole situation for you um, because uh, I also work in an essential industry or whatever, but uh, you know, the company that I work for has experienced a large amount of layoffs recently and I, I was lucky right. enough not to get laid off, but you know, that's definitely a, a silver lining and I definitely consider myself lucky and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, you know, so that, that's one thing to, to keep in mind. But uh, yeah, and I guess um, that's that's why I, we want to talk about money today. I guess that's that's a very important thing. Another a thing that I'm trying to do is I'm trying to save up an emergency fund. Like I got some debt here and there, which I've I've stopped. Like that's not my number one priority right now. I'm trying to save up a cushion or a rainy day fund, if you would, mm -hmm. because I mean I have a job today, but. I guess 30 million out of 150. So like 20% of the the active workforce has been laid off. So I mean, you never know. I might not have a job tomorrow or the next okay. week. Mm -hmm. it's, it's always best to be on your toes regarding your finances. And that's what I'm trying to do. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting with this, um, with COVID and with the shutdown. Um, I mean, 20% is a huge number that we're going to get to a point where you could stand in a, uh, a room of five friends and at least one of them is unemployed and that's that's a lot that's a lot of uh of people not working i currently am not i've had to um pick up uh some gigs like postmates and instacart i was uh working in education uh setting up after school enrichment programs so that may not even come back in the fall so having to having to make yeah. some pivots it's been, it's been pretty tough yeah, and uh, it's funny, me and Adam, when we have conversations about, um, it, it, so Adam has uh, uh, given me just a lot of advice in investing. This is all something, all things that I'm new to. I'm a very novice in um, the world of money, but I recently came to the point where I was like, I need to make some uh, some changes here. So mm -hmm. uh, I, as, as well as Adam, I have a, a couple other mentors that I had consulted with, but I talked to Adam most um, frequently about investing and things like that. We're both um, have been talking about trying to get that rainy day fund. And it's funny, it's like, yeah, we're starting now. Everybody want, everybody wants to have their rainy day fund now, but this yeah. is the reason you should have one in the first place. Yeah, so that, definitely. That's, yeah. A, that's so funny to me because when, when things are going so well, right, like they were two months ago, nobody was even thinking about a rainy day fund. Everybody's thinking like, oh, investing or oh, yeah. in a lot of our friends' cases, they were just spending all of their money, you know. But uh, I think I at least hope that that's maybe one of the things that people can take from uh, a situation like this is that the emergency fund, I mean, you need it for times like this for the unpredictable and insecure times like this yeah. you know um so uh rahul how much how much money do you think is an adequate rainy day fund how many how many uh days in the future or months in the future do you think uh people should strive to to, to get yeah well that's uh these are pretty wild times to be asking that sort of a question. I mean, my answer two months ago would have been completely different compared to what it is today. Yeah. And even two months ago, I would have said that this is something that's very personal. It depends on your personal situation. And I think we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but um, I guess it really depends on what your expenses are. Um, 
how secure your job is or like how much assured you have that this next paycheck is going to keep coming in and I'm going to have a paycheck for so long and the kind of lifestyle you're leaving, leading right now and the kind of lifestyle you would be want to be leading if say you were to be out of a job. Um, so back when I was paying dead off, I only had a thousand bucks, which is nowhere close to, you know, it's probably not even a month's worth of expenses for me, or maybe it's just a little shy of that. Um, and that's because I did not have, a, I did not want to have a lot of money laying around when I had debt, when I had like loans, 5%, 7%, 9% interest rate loans, because uh, that money is just sitting there and I could be using that money to pay loans off. But now that I've paid, it was mostly student loans. Now that I've paid a big chunk of that off, and now that we've entered such unpredictable times, I personally am comfortable with the three month amount because I think my job is relatively more secure. I mean, I, I honestly wouldn't expect to lose my job tomorrow or a week from now or a month from now. But these times are so unpredictable that you never know. I mean, I'll, 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 I keep on reassessing the situation. So a week from now or a month from now, if I do think that my job is more uncertain, I might try and expand my emergency fund to six months or some people, I know people who have 12 months or 18 months worth of emergency funds. And some people have a cushion on top of that because it's not just living expenses. It's that emergency fund also has to take into account um, like 500,000 bucks for if your car breaks down or if you're, again, depends on the personal situation. Right. I rent, I don't have a house. So some people have 5,000 in there in case their basement floods or they need to fix their plumbing and that costs like five or six grand. Um, another thing I would like to mention though is for people like me who have high deductible health insurance plans is that your emergency fund should definitely include, especially in times like these, enough money to cover up to your deductible of your health insurance plans. So I have an HSA, which I barely use and it's got... It does not have as much money as my deductible, but I'm trying to make it to reach that point. So yeah, my emergency fund right now, what's comfortable for me would be three months worth of expenses and I guess another $2,700, which is how much the deductible on my health insurance plan is. Mm, interesting. So in regards to like personal finance, um, uh, from what I've heard, uh, uh, Adam, uh, speak of you, you seem to be pretty savvy in personal finance. Is that something that uh, has always come naturally to you? Is that something that you inherited through um, uh, your parents? Um, or is that something that you learned later in life? Uh, it's been it's been a mix of all those things. So I guess one thing I should have mentioned is I am from India, if you couldn't tell by my accent by now. Um, <laughs> I thought you were from New York. Huh? I thought you were from New York. No, I'm playing. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so I moved to the U.S. for college actually back in 2013. It's been a wild eight years, I guess. And um, well, I'm, being from India, we are a, a fairly frugal culture, I guess. If you look at like East Asian or Asian cultures, we do tend to be pretty frugal uh, and thrifty when it comes to saving money. So it's come in part from my parents, but then there's a lot of uh, a lot of things that I 
at this point now that I see my parents too, like paying, my dad still paying, we call it an EMI, I guess, an auto payment, if you would like. Right. What EMI stands for, like a monthly installment. Uh, but yeah, my dad's still paying off his car at like 45, 50. And that shocks me. So part of it is stuff I've learned from my parent. A lot of it is just the time I spent at college as a broke college student like everyone else, you know. And uh, being an international student, I had to pay a lot in tuition. So I, I took some debt on to pay to be able to pay that tuition. Um, so I was working jobs. I could only work on-campus jobs due to my immigration status and they wouldn't pay a whole lot. So I've, I've just managed to, so I've, I've developed this scarcity mindset, if you would, through college, which, I mean, they, they weren't the easiest of times getting through college. I mean, there's been days where I had like a dollar or like $1.5 in my bank account for like 15 days straight. And I would have to scrounge and scour for pennies to be able to get like a dollar to eat at McDonald's. But those days have been invaluable to me and those days have taught me a lot. And now that I am finally making decent money, I know not to spend that money right away. And I know the value of saving that money and maximizing the utilization that I get out of that money. Yeah, similarly, I um, I wouldn't say that um, uh, my parents were like my by no means were like my parents and my family financially irresponsible but i i recently learned the difference between um being financially responsible and being financially literate and just financially right. educated and that's kind of what i that's kind of what has been my focus in the in the last year learning a lot of things just furthering um my education on it uh and investing and saving money and uh and things like that um it's interesting uh like be, like just getting to this age and realizing that like oh there's still things to like figure out and i i actually can't just like look at my parents as a as a you know perfect model uh for everything in in my life because in my life maybe mm -hmm different or maybe now I've just uh, I've learned something that maybe they didn't learn um right. in their life and and but I you know to make the best decisions I, I still have to do that so it's interesting and it's cool I like talking to you guys because um it seems that everybody to some extent has uh everybody here has, to some extent has taken uh initiative and priority and in just learning um I think a lot of people still think that finance um, is just a matter of how much you make and people's idea of fixing their finances is just getting a job that pays them a lot of money. Uh, and we kind of have an issue with like being financially stable. It's just having, having a bunch of money come in, but, I, but yeah, I, that's not the case. <laughs> and so it's just, I, I enjoy these conversations with, uh, with you guys. You know, one, thing, one thing I want to add on to that is, uh, um, Rahul, you were talking about, you know, in college, how, you know, those times were invalu invaluable to you and you learned a lot about frugality and, if you will, the fire lifestyle. Right. And uh, one thing I want to point out to the people listening, um, in some of the videos that I've made on YouTube, uh, 
about finance in particular, I've, uh, you know, sometimes mentioned the, the fact that, you know, one of the first steps that you need to take when um, becoming financially literate is tracking your finances and understanding where your money actually goes, understanding the, the flow in and the flow out. And I, I mentioned that I've actually seen people, um, you know, write in a notebook at the end of the day, what each and every expense was. And I'm, I'm referencing you when I talk about that. I remember when we were yep. in, uh, where was that? Okay. What was that? Was that Beijing or something? Wherever we went uh, with Ahmed uh, and Arpin and whatever. Um, I remember sitting in a hostel and like we were all going to sleep and you were uh -huh. still up uh, at night with a light on and a notebook and you were writing down each and every oh, yeah, expense that, that you would you would spend throughout the day and I thought that was so interesting um and it really goes to show you how you know there are so many different ways to track this information mm -hmm. uh now I think you use mint and I'm, I'm trying right. to accustom myself to to using mint but uh you know if if that's not your thing and maybe a spreadsheet's not your thing you can definitely just carry a notebook around and do that you know yeah, that's that's actually something that's come from my dad. I actually was using Mint when I was in the U.S. I think I started using Mint in 2015 or 16, but because that was not a thing in China, I guess they might have their own app, but like it's mm. probably in Chinese, and I don't know Chinese. Um, <laughs> I I wanted that control, or I wanted that understanding of where my money is going out and where it's coming in from when I was in China. And that's why I just started doing it by paper because I was just so used to seeing that happen automatically with Mint for every day, every week, every month. That's why I was just doing it. And that's actually something that my dad would do, not as obsessively as I do it. Because, uh, you know, Mint's like, it's automated, it's, it's so precise. Um, but whenever we'd go out on a family vacation, like my dad would, think oh hey this is how much cash I had when the day started and this is how much cash I have now when the days ended because you know if you're out somewhere you go out to eat you go out to shop you go sightseeing to a museum or whatever so like this is something that I've learned from him that you need to understand that okay this is all I spent money on today and sometimes he's caught stuff man oh hey wait a hundred bucks is missing here like what what happened to that hundred bucks 100 rupees, Indian rupees, not $100. That would be a lot of money. Uh, but yeah, this is something I personally find to be pretty helpful when it comes to tracking our finances. Mm. For sure. And I, I think this kind of speaks a little bit to what Josh was getting at, where the answer to your financial problems may not always be just simply getting a higher paying job, because as we're all aware of the, the concepts of lifestyle inflation, you get a job that pays 20K more, you know, a lot of people immediately think like, oh, wow, I can get out of this, uh, you know, crappy apartment. I can, you know, maybe put that down payment on a 2020 car now and look cool for my friends, right? Uh, and when you give into that, you're, you're not solving any of your problems. And in, in many ways, you're even uh, putting yourself in a worse position because now it's harder to sustain that particular lifestyle if you do end up getting laid off or, or lose your job. So, uh, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of solving the problem is not so much focusing on just making more money, but you have to also allocate time and energy to tracking your expenses and seeing where that money is actually going, you know? Uh -huh. Adding on to that, 
that remi- this reminds me of something you always told me and i always tell people it's not just money where this concept applies actually a lot of personal finance things such as for compound interest i see a lot of these co- concepts not applying to just money but just everyday things and what i'm getting to is you've always taught me that if you want to lose weight or if you want to gain weight it's simple math that these are how many calories my body needs these are how many i take in it's a simple in minus out thing where if you want to lose weight you have to lose more calories than you take in and if you want to gain weight you have to conversely eat yeah. more take more calories in than you lose uh, and this applies to personal finance too you know i mean you've told me statistics about how people who make over 100k and people who make about 50k they the percent of people living paycheck to paycheck in both those groups is about the same and i think the basic in minus out math applies here too i mean if you're a doctor or whatever you know making i don't know 200k a year if you're spending 199k out of that then you are no different than someone who's making 30k and spending 29k just to make ends meet mm-hmm. for sure yeah um i definitely made a point um where i i don't think i've i i definitely been in uh at in points in my life where i was making a little bit more money and uh you know several years ago and at that time i had 0 dollars set aside and saved and now i'm making less money <laughs> and i have more money than i've ever had saved in my life probably mm-hmm. yeah bro yeah, i've been there i've been there going to uh the whole losing weight thing uh i think another thing uh, another similarity i can draw between the two is whenever you you know talk to somebody who who may not be that experienced in trying to lose weight or gain weight it's it's mm-hmm. funny to me like everybody always looks for the easy way out like oh i want to drink this tea and this detox right. tea that's going to make me lose weight and suppress my appetite or hey i got this uh 30 day uh six pack abs challenge little you know uh thing like that and you see the same thing in people trying to fix their their financials their financial situations you see people you know get enticed with these get rich quick oh buy my course and start selling on amazon uh deals or whatever you know like make money online by these internet gurus right and it just doesn't right. work like that it's you know i've josh i think josh uh, can relate to this and i think you can too rahul uh anything that's really great and anything you really want to accomplish that that's going to be great and not shallow it, it takes many years of honing and refining and and practicing your skills in the particular area you know yeah absolutely yeah so that, that think... reminds me that go on go ahead no you can go on well it's it's not there's no easy fix you know i mean there are people do get lucky people do win the lottery and all that but i think it's it's both money or weird calories whatever if you're losing weight and time and that's the magic of compound interest that um if i have say x dollars today i have to be patient with it because the economy if you look at it historically i know these are uncertain and bad times it looks like we're never going to get out of this but we will we will get back on track you look at the last 300 years of this country and the s&p 500 has given 11% historically with a historic inflation of 3% so 
So the market is going to give you eight to 10% on average every year. You cannot just single out one year. Uh, so you have to be patient. And of course, the amount you put in also does matter. I mean, if I put in double today, 40 years down the line, I'll end up with double. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, speaking of time, um, and, uh, and people just looking at this year, something that I had to um, understand, and, and I think that this is just something that is specifically in Western culture is um, really hard for a lot of people to understand is um, especially it with uh, like influencers and celebrities, the ones that make a couple million in a year and then all of a sudden they uh, like you have the lifestyle inflation um, and it just looks like they've got it figured out. But the problem is if you, if you don't, if you make 2 million in a year and spend it and don't make any more money the rest of your life, you're, you're back exactly uh, where you started. Also, a lot, I, um, and I was one of them. I didn't realize how, uh, I, I, well, so backing up, I, I'm trying to think of, um, I try to think of finances much more, long-term and in the scope of your whole life and not just uh, a whole year a hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money in the yeah. scope of a, a year a day but it's almost nothing in the scope of a, a of a lifetime so it was a million dollars a million dollars you could if you if all three of us made a million dollars tomorrow we couldn't retire you know that and yeah. that's the uh that's the the switch that i had to make in in understanding um how finances work and that it's it's a lot of work and that you know even if you you had a a, a get rich quick and it worked and you made a million dollars that's that's you know that might just be a drop in the bucket as well if you're going to yeah. live uh, uh, to be 90 100 years old yeah that, well, you know uh, what that actually makes me think of that one presentation josh that I won't be too specific here, but that you and I uh, experienced in that cult <laughs> visit <laughs> that we took part in. And uh, that, that woman was talking about how she's making, uh, you know, what was it, $20,000 a month or something. A month, yeah. And she's like, oh, yeah, you know, I used to uh, penny pinch and I used to track everything I'm spending. But now, you know, I realize that you don't have to do that. And uh, money just comes and goes. And it just makes me think, like, yeah, when that Ponzi scheme uh, crashes You've been in, one like, of those a year two? or two, you know, you're, you're uh, going to be, you know, so well, situation maybe. because, uh, you know, she was talking about, oh, she went and bought a Porsche or something. And I'm thinking, like, you yeah. still have college loans. Like, what? You, you, yeah, don't, for you, real. you can't afford a Porsche. About it. Yeah, you she know? said she still had uh, college loans and she was making $20,000 a month and she went and and bought uh uh what was it this one it says uh we've removed the but, uh, 40 minute time oh that's awesome man oh cool um raul i would love to hear your story uh if you have one and uh if you ever ended up in my like favorite a, scheme a, a pyramid scheme ponzi scheme Ad, i'm trying to convince oh i'm trying to convince adam to tell for us to tell this story on the podcast in depth uh we're not going to name the company or the people that we went with i would i would love to name them i would yeah, love, I don't please do because we're, we're going to talk about ours oh. mine was amway 
and that's that's been uh, it's. I mean, it was here in the U.S. It was here in India, but I've had I've got an aunt back in India. She's actually in a pretty remote village of India, and she's actually lost money to Amway in that remote village in India. So they're everywhere, man. So I was actually contacted. I think it was 2015 or 16. I was on a co-op. I was off college that semester working with a company and I got contacted on LinkedIn that, hey, we have, a, I don't know, some random person. We had no common connections. Or maybe we had like five common connections. It was four or five years ago, so I don't remember the exact details. But this lady or this guy, I think, contacted me saying, hey, I have a business idea and you look interesting. Your profile on LinkedIn looks pretty good. So I would like for you to be a part of this idea. And I was like, okay, cool. I mean, why me? And he's like, oh, I can't tell you much. Let's just do a phone call and I'll, I'll tell you all about it on the phone call. So I was like, okay, cool. I mean, I've got nothing to lose. I call that guy up and he's like, okay, so here's the scheme, blah, blah, blah. We join this organization and whatever. I mean, they, you pay them a certain money and then they just keep paying you and paying you. And I'm like, okay, I mean, this does sound a little too good to be true so i started asking him some questions but instead of answering that all, the, all my questions he was like okay how about i take you to a seminar or whatever and it's going to be in indy indianapolis by the airport there's a pretty swanky hilton hotel by the airport and he's like okay it's going to be there this date this time i can drive you there you just come with me and we'll answer all your questions so I go there, I go to that place, and uh, so the guy actually comes to pick me up from Indianapolis to, I, I was in Purdue, which is a good, I guess, at least an hour away. Yeah, um, that's an hour. So he comes to pick me up in his old, some, like, 1995 Toyota Corolla or whatever, and I'm like, okay, this guy's gonna teach me about his, like, he's gonna make me a part of his secret business idea or whatever. I'm like, I just, I just rolled with it. Uh, he takes me to this hotel and they had like free food there. It was a pretty nice hotel. They, they booked a big conference hall. There were a bunch of people there. I would say there were at least 150 people there and they were enthusiastic as anything, man. It's oh, like, yeah. It was like <laughs> they were on drugs or something. Dude, that's, um, that's precisely the exact same situation. Yeah, like, I know. That's how they are, About a month ago <laughs> or two months ago or whatever. Yeah, and, and dude, so in hindsight, now that I know what happened, turns out like 140 of the 150 people there were like, were already in. Yeah. They were a part of that thing. And there were only like 10 new prospects or mm -hmm. candidates, whatever. And we they had all 10 of us sit on the front row. And anytime the dude, the speaker would say something, the whole crowd would go wild. Like, whoa, this guy was a... Chowmin, he was a Chinese restaurant chef in New York, and now he's a millionaire who drives a Ferrari and all that. Bro, yeah. I, I honestly think it sounds like we attended the exact same thing, man. Yeah, like, bro, that's how they all are. But yeah, it was, it, it eventually, it kept getting like creepier and creepier and creepier where, where they had, so they had this one dude come in and he was like, oh yeah, I'm an immigrant from Taiwan or China, and I came in and I came to the U.S. with nothing, and I was working as a noodle chef in New York, and then I heard of this thing, or I started this thing, and now I make, like, million dollars a month or whatever, 
and then they had someone else come in explain the details and i mean the crowd just kept getting wilder and wilder and wilder and by the end of it they were like yeah uh, they actually had all of us newbies the 10 15 people who weren't actually in on this thing they had us go and talk to the guy and they were treating him like a boss or like a god or something and yeah. they were just trying to like surround us and like force their like coked up aura onto us or something uh it's so it's so he, wild so on josh yeah it's so wild because the one uh me and adam attended uh uh and again we're go- we're going to go into that story in in depth uh in a future podcast me and adam but uh the the weird thing was like we got we were there cuz adam was uh he said that there was a networking event and the guy who invited him said that this was like a regular networking event right and the weird thing was like we get there and i i could not figure out what it was that any of these people do <laughs> i know i know i i still don't know the whole thing was so vague man like i still don't know what the exact business plan was they were just like oh you give us money and you go talk to your friends and we give you mm-hmm. discounted like i don't know like food and like this you get like iPhones for like 250 bucks you get the latest iPhone for 250 instead of a thousand bucks and like no one was actually talking about what the thing what the heck we have to do yeah and that's that's the weird thing like this all this energy in this room and that we find out that all these people are licensed life insurance salesmen oh. and they're selling life insurance and we're like uh, what what uh and, and, and so, the weird thing is to me is like you know they were they were talking about uh this insane volatility in the market and how uh, everybody has their their money in the market and they they're just getting screwed in their 401k's because you can lose money in your 401k and you can lose money in your Roth IRA and blah 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 and yeah well that's true and, but what i hated about it was it preyed on people who were not financially literate and it preyed on people right. who were uh kind of i don't want to say in poverty but what they definitely were not uh financially well mm-hmm. and you know when when you're coming from that stance you know you hear these people who are similar to you and you think like oh wow if she did it in just one year time i can do it in just one year's time and uh i i really you know disliked how it, how it preyed on on people like that but what what they forgot to mention was that the S&P 500 had uh had only grown for the past 10 years straight and grown in a huge way you know they they forgot to leave that little uh little bit of information out and this was before covid or anything you know yeah and that's the thing man and that's the thing what you were talking about earlier people just have people just want like get quick rich schemes they don't want the details of it they don't want to put in the effort but i mean they don't understand or they don't want to understand that there probably is no get rich quick scheme that that's not going to happen to them even if they get rich overnight it's it's unless they win the lottery i mean it it has to be through whatever like if you make some app like i know you, you try that if you come up with some program or something that's going to take you like years and years worth of practice and skill and iterations to get to that point 
where you get rich quick because of your hard work and effort. That's that's precisely and, the case. And Josh and I were actually just talking about this a couple of days ago. Uh, we were talking about a book called The Dip. If you haven't read The Dip, I highly recommend it. Listen to it on Audible. It's like, literally, it's like a two-hour book. I, th- I thought the book was over. Or I thought like the first chapter was over when it was over, but it was the whole book. And it's short because it's just short and sweet and to the point. And what it was talking about is whenever you get into something new, like you start a new company or you start your investments in the stock market or whatever, there's all this uh, initial dopamine release and there's these, all these thrills and you're so excited and everything that you do in life, you feel like, man, you figured it out. You got it. But then you enter this, this period, maybe it's two months in, six months in, whatever. And it's called the dip. And that's when you realize, okay, I haven't made any money yet. I am not necessarily enjoying what I'm doing on a daily basis. This is, this is hard. I don't know if this is going to pay off, right? And this dip is uh, basically, you can equate it to like weeding out uh, a lot of the engineers at Purdue, like freshman year or whatever, the people who thought they wanted to be engineers but didn't. Uh-huh. It's the weeding out period. And the people that make it through the dip and the longer and the more treacherous that the dip is, the more uh, disproportionately the people who make it out on the end, they get rewarded completely dis- disproportionately. Wow. So, uh, you know, that, that's something that, that we were talking about. <laughs> and I think it's so crucial for people to understand. If, if something is too good to be true, it is, period. There's no getting around it, you know? Bro, Dude, going back to the pyramid scheme thing, have you heard of this new, uh, I don't even remember the name, some... Well, not BitConnect, but there's another one out there. There's the Bitcoin pyramid scheme, and this thing is is worth trillions of dollars, man. It's bigger than like entire countries, and I don't even know. It started on their dark web. There's this Russian woman or something. The FBI is on it. I think I heard a podcast on it, and it's 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 bigger than like all previous pyramid schemes. Because it's just. Like, people don't know anything about crypto. They just see that, oh, Bitcoin's like $8,000. It's gone up to $20,000. So they just, I mean, they fall prey to it more easily than previous schemes because this time they don't have to take those people to a physical location. They do like Zoom meetings like how we are doing right now and they have them put money into whatever BitConnect or whatever Bitcoin it is and they're making like billions of dollars a month. That's crazy. Yeah, the whole um, BitConnect uh, scheme, not going to lie, almost fell uh, victim to that one. Um, I had um, some money that was coming in. So I went to a community college a couple of years ago and uh-huh. I was on uh, a grant. And what happens is if you, uh, and I was going to a community college, so it more than covered all my books and my enrollment. So you get refunded, like any money that's left in the grant just as uh, okay. cash. And I was going to have like 500 to $2,000 that I was like, I remember like <laughs> just like being all into BitConnect. And I was like, man, as soon as I get this money, I'm dumping it all in. And as, like, uh-huh. I'm talking like maybe a week before I got that check, the whole thing crashed. And I was like, oh, damn. Well, this is, dodged the bullet there. <laughs> <laughs> so, Josh, do you remember uh, you, me, and your dad actually went out to go eat at IHOP and talk yeah, about it? Yeah, we were all, yeah, me, because my, my dad was in it. He wasn't into it uh, too deep. He hadn't put too much in there. Um, 
I don't remember if Adam got into it, but oh, uh, yeah, that, I got into it. Oh, did you get it? Yeah, you did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right, you did. So I got. I was into thinking it. of another friend. I I was in it for like, I don't know how many months, but I was in it for because I think the the deal was if you had your money in there for six months, they would give all of the money that you gave back after the six month period. And that was actually, uh, they were doing that. People who got in before it crashed, they were giving the money back. Um, Mm -hmm. And all of this was predicated on Bitcoin continuously rising because it was getting more and more valuable. And BitConnect, the company, was getting everyone's Bitcoin. So they were able to move money around to everybody, right? But I got into it and I was in it for three, four, five, I don't know exactly, probably four months or something. And uh, I actually got other people into it. So I got Mateo into it and uh, this one dude at work, I was at uh, interning at Bendix at the time. And this other dude like saw me like looking into Bitcoin all the time. He's like, man, what is that? And I'm like, yo, I'm getting paid uh, 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 1% on my money daily. And he's like, oh, "Oh, wow. He's like, I got to give, I got to get in your program, man. I'm like, all right, here's the link. (laughs) That's how they work. And uh, man, I got to the point where... I had like over $10,000 in this thing and I was making a hundred bucks a day, bro. Like a hundred bucks a day, every single day, because it's just fucking, you know, uh, continuously growing. Right. And every single dollar that I would make, I would reinvest. So it was growing and growing. And oh my God. Luckily, so they would pay you in, uh, you would get paid in whatever their crypto coin was right and not actual dollars yeah you would get you would get paid in bitconnect tokens and uh what would happen was i i was i'm I'm lucky that i did this i did i ended up losing money on uh the whole experience that i had in bitcoin or bitconnect but what i did end up doing like a week before they ended up crashing is i took some of the bitconnect tokens that i was getting and i converted it to bitcoin and then i sent it out uh, I don't know what percentage of the money that I had in there that I got out. Uh, but man, that, that was a, an interesting and very, uh, I think, valuable learning experience to have early on in my investing career because I was Definitely. 20 years old or whatever, you know? Yeah, that, um, and the interesting thing was, uh, the, the crazy thing with like the scams that they were running with um, crypto was because like with the internet, you could see all these people getting paid and it wasn't like, like it was, and they were because that's, I mean, the way a Ponzi scheme works, people get paid until it crashes. And, um, and it's dangerous when it's on the internet because you're seeing all these people get paid and you're seeing all these success stories and everybody's winning uh, as long as the money is, is, is going up. But as soon as the money stops coming in, then the people at the bottom, the people who came in last end up losing all of it. And the crazy thing was, because um, I remember uh, just for, and, and, and to their credit, BitConnect, to, like now I'd be able to spot it, but to their credit, you, you didn't have to be an idiot to get into BitConnect. I, I wouldn't call anybody who was interested or, or looked into it a complete idiot. They, they oh. were very creative and they did do a good job of making themselves seem legit. Uh, towards the end, obviously, that just deteriorated. Um, mm. But I, I can imagine if you came in early, you it would have it would have been like, oh yeah, no, this is this is the oh, next big. Thing. There there were legitimately people who made millions of dollars off BitConnect, yeah. 
And yeah, when I was getting into it, I completely reserved the possibility that this is a complete Ponzi scheme. And to be quite honest, in my head, it was like 90% this is a Ponzi scheme and it mm -hmm. will crash. But in my head, I was like, okay, what if I can get into this and get out before it crashes, right? Uh -huh. And I was, you know, a month or two, or I don't know exactly how far away from just getting out, but who knows what I would have ended up doing because when you can just reinvest your money on a daily basis like that, that's, that's a very addicting thing to do. So uh, I don't know what I would have ended up doing, but I was, I was like 90% sure this thing is a scam, but I was like, you know, other people are getting out of this and they're, they're benefiting from this. So I'm going to see if I could do the same thing, you know? And the crazy thing is that I saw other, uh, I saw I, I, like just researching it. I saw at least like just me personally, I came across, across like two, three, maybe even four other sites that were doing the exact same thing, except mm -hmm. way jankier. And you just like, just clicking on those sites, you're just like, oh, this is definitely, like they're not even trying to, <laughs> trying to convince you that this is real. Uh, so that, that, that was an interesting thing. I, I feel like a lot of people did learn from that. So it's probably a good thing that uh, it happened uh, so early. Because if Bitcoin does do what people say it can, then um, then we can consider that relatively early. These uh, these schemes that have that have already uh, that have already happened, but it's gonna crash, bro. It's, it's a pyramid scheme. Bitcoin's a pyramid scheme. It's going oh, to big, crash. oh, you don't believe in Bitcoin at all? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, I mean, this is who knows, man? Maybe maybe it's it's the biggest pyramid scheme ever pulled off. It could be. You know, I it's mean, it's something is, I wanted to talk about. Uh, and that is with the current financial environment, we have the United States government printing trillions of dollars and injecting it into the markets. And right now we have a, a deflationary environment, but mm -hmm. there's this case that some people are making and that is that within the next year or two, uh, not only the US, but the world could potentially see some, some very, very, uh, prominent inflation and right now the u.s dollar is increasing in value and it's in a deflationary deflationary environment so the u.s dollar is uh, a commodity or something that people want to own now people are making the case for bitcoin here that maybe you're in nigeria or kenya or india or whatever and maybe you can't get your hands on the u.s dollar right now because you don't want your life savings to uh go down due to inflation but the idea here would be well if i can't get the u.s dollar i can get bitcoin and bitcoin would be like the next best best thing i guess and uh, -huh. uh you know it, it really does have me interested in the idea of bitcoin given the current uh environment in the you know economically speaking mm -hmm. so i want to get your guys thoughts on this um because there is one thing that bitcoin has going for it and in my, in my eyes, I view Bitcoin very, very similarly to the way that I view gold. Uh, you could say, well, Bitcoin has no value, right? Well, I mean, what value does gold have? And people will say, oh, it's used for uh, semiconductors and things like that. Well, no, that's not why gold has value. Gold has had value for the last 10,000 years. They weren't using it for semiconductors back then. And any value uh -huh. that semiconductors do contribute to gold's value, that's like 10, I don't know, uh, like 10% of what gold's value is. It's, it's really just valuable because people like how it looks 
and it has specific properties to it. It's rare and it lasts a very long time. Yeah, it now, doesn't go bad. Exactly. Now, Bitcoin, in my mind, is basically digital gold. I view it very similarly to digital gold. And if gold has value, then, then why would Bitcoin also not have value? You know, but one thing Bitcoin does have is it's easier to send Bitcoin than it is gold. If I have a gold brick and I want to send it to you, Rahul, right now, I can't do that. But if I have Bitcoin, I can yeah. send it to him right now, you know? So what are your guys' thoughts okay. on uh, Bitcoin moving forward, given the current economic stances? I, um, I, I don't have too much to say on it, as I uh, am pretty uneducated on crypto still. There was a point at which, like, you know, when I was like 19 and just learning about uh, cryptocurrencies and learning about all this stuff and, you know, almost falling for Ponzi schemes that I was very bullish on crypto in general. <laughs> but um, but now I don't uh, I, I don't like to have a, a, a huge opinion on it just because I'm not as educated. Um, I, I do see that how it can be um, something very valuable in the future. Right now, me personally, as far as from an investing standpoint, this is where I'm at. I see that if if um, Bitcoin and crypto does the thing where they're saying this is the next big thing and Bitcoin's going to be worth a million dollars, well, uh -huh. then we can consider this even though Bitcoin is at $8,000, which everybody thinks that's a lot right now. Well, not everybody, but there's people that, you know, are kicking themselves for not buying it when it was under a penny because they would be millionaires right now because now it's worth uh, so much. But I mean, you're going from 8,000 to a million. Well, now you can consider that we're still pretty early on, uh, on Bitcoin and you can make, because you can buy it partially, you can invest a very um, little amount of money uh, to, uh, and potentially make the same returns that, they, that the early, really early Bitcoin investors saw. Um, you know, you, you could put a hundred bucks in Bitcoin and if it goes to a million dollars, then you're doing great. And if it goes to zero, you've lost a hundred bucks, which is not, you know, in the scope of things is, is a negligible, negligible amount. So that, that's my opinion on it. I, I, I'm putting small amounts in it, you know, understanding that I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be the idiot that didn't have any, if it goes to, uh, you know, a million dollars, but I also am not going to put ten thousand dollars into into Bitcoin and, and and risk losing a lot of money if it doesn't do what, what people think it's going to do. Yeah, and I mean, I I personally agree with the statement a lot that Bitcoin is like virtual gold because it's not like it's appearing out of thin air. I mean, I mean it used to, but Bitcoin has to be mined, and mm. it's it's to pay for the certain amount of work of work that companies or people put in, and there's only a finite amount, so. I mean, um, I honestly don't know what's going to happen to Bitcoin. I've been in and out of Bitcoin. I don't currently invest in any Bitcoin. But I mean, oh, another thing, when you said that they're going to say it's the next big thing. See, I, what I do think is going to happen is the government aren't going to say it's the next big thing. It'll be the people who decide that Bitcoin's the next yeah. big thing. Mm -hmm. Because it, the whole point of Bitcoin what Bitcoin and gold have in common is that they're unregulated. I can have it, you can have it, no one's going to know. And why Bitcoin has value and why gold has value is the same reason why fiat currency or why paper currency has value. 
is because we decided to assign it value. We decided to assign goal value because of certain properties or attributes that it has, that it doesn't corrode or rust, it doesn't go bad, it's got so so and so many uses. Um, that's why we decided to assign Bitcoin value that, hey, if I'm gonna mine Bitcoin today, if I'm gonna spend so and so much of my bandwidth and electricity to mine a certain amount of Bitcoin, it's gonna have a value. So the the way the way the value is assigned to a Bitcoin is just basic supply and demand economics, I think. But as far as the future of Bitcoin goes, um, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I really hope it takes off and I really hope it is able to replace certain fiat currencies because I mean, it's deregulated and it's, you know, what actually happened in India, I guess you wouldn't know about it, but what happened in India uh, is something they call demonetization not the YouTube kind, the money kind. <laughs> uh, so they actually, what happened was India has a problem, still has a problem of black money. And what black money is just money which people don't declare and pay tax on, or pay tax on. People who earn money declared to the government and pay tax on it is called white money. Black money is, a, a, I don't know how much black money is there in India, but it's estimated that there's more undeclared black money in India than there is legal white money. And that would be all small business owners, not, I shouldn't say all, but like anyone who runs a small store or showroom or whatever, anyone who runs a gas station, even the big businessmen. I mean, all the, it's a very cash-based economy and cash is hard to track. So people just don't declare their income. And that's how we end up with a bunch of money that the government should be getting tax on, but they don't. Uh, what happened in India in 2016, I think, was one random sudden day, the Prime Minister comes out and he's like, oh, we have 500 rupee bills. They're just worthless now. They don't have value anymore. So you come into the bank and you get them exchanged for this new type of 500 rupee bill. It just looks different. It's got a bunch of security features in it. And why they did that was 500 was actually at the time the second biggest denomination we had. We had a thousand. They didn't mess with the thousand. I don't know why. Um, but oh, you know what? They actually they actually banned the thousand too. Like five hundred and thousand aren't gonna be a thing anymore. We'll have new types of five hundred and two thousand. So you come into the bank and you get it exchanged. And oh, by the way, if you have over a certain amount, we need to see ID. Mm. That's what they did. Was if oh wait, you're bringing in this much money. And here's your ID, I have your social security number and all that. I see your tax statement. I see you made X amount of rupees last year, but here you are bringing in three X. Hmm. So you got to pay tax on that. So all that regulation and all that oversight by the government, especially in the US, I don't think a lot of people are comfortable with that. So Bitcoin would be pretty deregulated. I don't know if it's good for the government, but I mean, I see people using it, so they better adapt. Mm-hmm. My my thought on the matter is the following. Uh, I, I tend to have a similar stance as uh, Chamath has on uh, on on Bitcoin, and that is that it, it is pretty binary. I think uh-huh. that it's either going to be worth uh, millions of dollars because everybody adopts it, or it's going to be yeah. worth zero dollars. Um, right. You know, so if you can understand that. And no matter what that uh, percentage is, that it is going to be worth million, millions of dollars, as long as that percentage exists, I uh-huh. think that it makes sense 
to have some exposure to it in your portfolio. Now, let me preface that. Before even worrying about this or before even worrying about investing in the stock market or real estate or anything, you should first have your uh, rainy day fund or your emergency fund saved up. Uh-huh. But once, once that's done, I think, you know, whether it's 1%, 5%, 10%, whatever you decide that you want to uh, allocate towards cryptocurrency, I think it makes sense to have some exposure at least, you know? And one thing that I was actually made aware of recently is uh, Cash App. Have you, I mean, Josh, you've heard of it. Have you heard of it, Rahul? It's like Venmo, right? It's like Venmo, but it's owned by Square. And Square was started, you know, Square, when you pay at a restaurant or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Square was started by, I guess, uh, the CEO of Twitter. He also started Square. Oh, yes, yes. One of the things that Cash App is doing is it's very, very popular uh, for for people. And one of the things Cash App now allows you to do is you can buy stocks on Cash App and you can buy Bitcoin on Cash App and send Bitcoin to people. So a lot of people have Cash App and a lot of people who would never even think about Bitcoin or even know what Bitcoin Uh is, they now know what it is because of Cash App and they can get easy access to it and they can send it to people. So if that becomes the case, yeah, man. So, you know, and there's been various, uh, you know, uh, more pushes for adoption of, of the currency. If we continue to see more and more things like that, you know, whether Bitcoin becomes a million or it goes to zero, I think in the next two years, I I would not be surprised if Bitcoin uh, increases in value from what it is today, you know? Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts right now, Rahul, on uh, investing in the stock market? What's your overall well, investing been... approach? Let's, let's get into that. Okay. What is your overall investing approach? So I guess, as I said in the beginning, um, I'm just staying the course right now. I've, 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 I've stopped prioritizing debt payments over anything else. But I want to say that what I tell other people and what I value myself, if it was not, if the COVID crisis wasn't going on right now, if it was regular times, no one who has debt is happy, right? So I guess the first thing you should do if you have debt, which is, I mean, almost everyone in the US has some sort of debt. You should pay off debt first before you get into investing. Um, and I like to follow a certain flowchart, I guess, which I've been, I've, I've come across it on uh, the Reddit personal finance community. That's a big source of information for me. And again, I resonate, my personal situation, I think resonates a lot with this flowchart. And that's why I follow it. If it doesn't with you, you should still check it out. If it doesn't resonate with your lifestyle or what you expect out of your investments or finances, then you shouldn't. But I guess what what I do right now is the following. Um, Right now I'm trying to pay off debt. And at the same time, even though I have debt, I make the minimum or the maximum amount of contribution in my employer 401k, uh, you might have a 402k or I don't know what the government employee version of that is. Uh, but you, when you definitely say maximum, wanna... do you mean uh, to get the match? Oh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. You, I put in as much to be able to get the maximum match from my employer. 
because you that's free money that's i don't want to lose out on that so i put in 5% my employer puts in 4% if i put in 5 bucks my employer puts in 4 bucks that's a 4 4 buck profit on a 5 buck investment right there that's an 80% return on investment and i don't see the s&p 500 i don't see any sort of investment giving you that sort of return unless it's a unless you invest in like amway a pyramid scheme or whatever um <laughs> uh, but uh, i do do that um once i'm debt free the next thing i'm going to do is open an individual retirement account um an ira it might be a roth ira it might be a traditional ira i don't know there's a bunch of differences in both the things but why i'm investing in retirement accounts primarily because there they offer some sort of tax saving now a roth ira or a roth 401k offer tax saving in the future where i can pay tax on that money today and in the future when i take that money out it's going to grow interest free so there's going to be no tax there's no sort of capital gains tax on the growth and then there's it's not going to count towards my income once i do take the required the uh, distribution from it in the future um and the 401k or a traditional ira it's it's i'm i'm going to save on the tax today um so i can claim a deduction on my income tax up to a certain amount and i'm not i won't have to pay income tax on that money but tomorrow when i take distribution from it i will have to that will count towards my income and i will have to pay tax on it but you just don't see that happening with a regular brokerage account like robinhood is popular you just you don't if you open a brokerage account with robinhood or whoever um charles schwab uh, fidelity vanguard you have to pay tax on the like you're investing post tax money unless you are a corporation or someone um you're investing post tax money on which you've already paid tax and then when you sell your stock or whatever tomorrow you got to pay capital gains tax on that money too and even though i personally plan on retiring early i'm i'm investing in these retirement accounts because i hope to live until uh, past the age of 59 and a half which is the age beginning when you can start taking distributions on your retirement account your 401k ira whatever i hope to live past the age of 59.5 so uh, i'm saving in my retirement accounts first to be able to get that tax advantage that that tax saving and that's going to fund my savings beyond the age of 59 and a half once i do have that saved up i'm going to start using a regular uh, non tax advantage advantage broker brokerage account or whatever i how i look at it is from uh, backwards front like if if i expect myself to live until the age of 90 i'm going to save up enough to be able to sustain myself up to the age of 89 then 88 87 you start from the end because i mean once i hit 65 i know that oh i can retire at 65 i don't have to uh, if i have enough money saved up from the age of 90 to 65 for 25 years uh, i know that i can retire successfully at 65 and then I, i'm going to continue until i hit my target age be it 35 40 i don't exactly know yet where do you start from the end until you get to your target age okay so when you're investing so you're investing in your uh, retirement accounts what is your general general overall approach is it 
swing trading? Is it trying to time the market and make bigger profits that way? Or is it uh, more recurring investments into diversified index funds or, or individual stocks? What, what, what is your uh, investing approach regarding what you actually put your money into? Mm -hmm. Well, I've, I've, I don't really trade actively anymore. I did that back in college when I was trading Bitcoin and you know, that's when I, I tried my hand at individual stocks, be it Google, Amazon, whatever. I think I do want to get into that. But right now, what I do is 100% stocks uh, through my 401k because I'm young. I'm so 25. index funds? Completely index funds. We have S&P 500. Um, I think the one through my work is actually a blend of, it's, it's, it's leaning towards stocks, mostly domestic stocks. It's got a bunch of, so this is what I have is a, a Vanguard life strategy growth. It's an index fund comprised of several index funds. It's a, it's a pretty complicated option, but that's one of the only options I had available through my work for 1K. Um, but I lean heavily towards index funds uh, because they're like, if you look at the market, the market is historically proven, you know, it, it's got a track record. There's been companies which came and went, I mean, Amazon and Google are the big ones today. There's a bunch of other big ones. Coca-Cola, McDonald's, Nike, they've been around for a while. Uh, but there's been countless companies which ha which were like the biggest company out there in their day, but they don't even exist anymore. So instead of betting on individual companies, I tend to stick to index funds because it tracks the whole market. And I know historically the market overall has gone up. And I, I lose that risk of betting on an individual company. So that company might not exist in five years, 10 years, 20 years. Who knows, man? No one knows the future. So I do realize that with index funds, I do get a moderate um, reward, I guess, if you would, a return. I mean, if I was to index, invest in Amazon stock a year from uh, like last year or two years ago, I would have had so much more money now than I do by investing in a 401k index fund. But by moderating my risk reward, I'm also moderating my risk. I know I'm, I'm gonna get a medium risk, a medium reward, but I, I'm also ensuring that my risk is not high. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, you know, just for the people watching and listening, um, what is happening with uh, Rahul's 401k? For those of you who don't know about people who have 401ks, it's investing every time you get a paycheck, basically. So instead of saying investing all of your money in a lump sum right now, imagine if you were to invest, I don't know, let's say you had $100,000 saved up and you invested $100,000 uh, the day before the, the COVID crisis happened. Well, right now you wouldn't be in as good of a position as uh, you'd be comfortable with, even though over time you'd probably still make money 50, 60 years from now. But uh, what, what you know, your investment strategy is and also mine is continuously buying into the market, uh, whether, it, whether it's high or whether it's low. And what, what this is really predicated on is the idea that all of the companies that you're investing into, their goal is to make profit and their goal is to grow that profit. So that's what you're really banking on. And uh, you're also banking on the success 
of the United States of America's stock market, which, like you said, has proven to be a uh, a good investment over over many many years, and every single time some type of um, super you know terrible event, whether it was the depression or it was the stock market crash of 1987, or it's 9-11, or it's the financial crisis of 2007, every single time. There were people saying that this time is different, and uh, this time has more uncertainty, and it's the end of the world, we're never going to recover from this, but every single time we have recovered from this. And it's been, uh, you know, sometimes a year, sometimes five years, but uh, it's always recovered. And I think that really speaks to uh, just the, the drive that businesses have to grow their profit. That's what you have working for you. That is the, the driver. And that's what you're buying into. One of the things yeah. that I like to think about whenever you're buying a stock, whether it's an individual stock or it's an index fund, think of it as uh, buying a, uh, a farm or a hotel complex, right? If you were to buy a farm or a hotel complex, you wouldn't be looking at the market every day and freaking out and like, oh, the market's low. I need to sell my farm. I need to sell my uh, hotel. No, you bought that hotel because you think that you can make money in that business. You are now the owner of that business and you think you can make money in that in the next 5, 10, 30 years, right? The same exact thing is happening when you buy into a company in the stock market and uh you really, you really get to internalize this when you start your own company. Uh, I started Cyron in, in 2019, and the first thing you do is you develop a cap table, and that's basically breaking the, the company. The company has 10 million shares, right? You break that, those 10 million shares into the shareholders. At Cyron, there are only four shareholders, but at Apple, there is millions of shareholders, right? But the same principle applies. You are actually owning a big piece of the pie, and you are buying into the innovation of that company, the, all of the talent and all of the engineers, and you're buying into all the intellectual property that that company owns. And that's all working for you, coupled with the uh, board of directors and CEO of the company trying to grow profits at all costs. You know, So if anybody out there is uh, concerned with losing money or afraid to invest, you know, when I figured out that I had all those things working for me, uh, that, that really helped tame some of that fear that I had. And hey, if the stock market does not, if, if the market does crash, if, if the country doesn't ever recover from this crisis or whatever crisis, then you'll have bigger problems, bigger things to worry about than how much your retirement account is valued at. For sure, man. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that, that's one of the things I really liked in that text that you sent, uh, Rahul. You were talking about one of the biggest investments you can make is investing into yourself, whether that's into uh, your health or your knowledge or whatever, because it's ultimately it's, it's you who is going to be navigating whatever situation you're, you find yourself in, you know? And uh, whatever situation we do find ourselves in, we're, we're human beings, and human beings have an extraordinary ability to adapt you know yeah yeah absolutely man this is a uh, this has been fun i've, I've really in a, i really enjoyed this i feel like that i'm tempted that's a really good really good high note to leave them on for sure <laughs> how, I how are you guys feeling 
I think I think we're ready to conclude this. Yeah, yeah thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for coming on, and uh, hopefully, Rahul, let's. Uh, like I said, I'd love to have uh, make this a regular thing. You know, once a month, whatever. Yeah, I love that too. I mean, I learned so many so many things. I learned that you guys also were almost victims of a pyramid scheme. I had no idea. <laughs> no, it, it wasn't a pyramid scheme, bro. It was a cult. It was straight up joining a cult. I know, I know. That's how it feels, man. Yeah, as they say, hindsight is twenty twenty, and I mean, that is only one of the many things that I've done. That I mean, only one, two, five years later, I've realized that oh, that was such a stupid thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're uh, we're gonna go into in depth on that story, but thanks again, Raul. It's been great talking to you, man. I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, likewise. Absolutely. All right, guys. Peace out. All right, we're going to see you guys in the next pod next week. Uh, hopefully, maybe with another guest. Raul will probably be with us again sometime in the future. But until then, uh, we'll see you guys around. For sure.